out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Episode 238 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving. Our topic today is, in caring, who caregivers and family caregivers are. Background, in 2013, the Mental Health Commission of Canada published its national guidelines for support for family caregivers of adults with mental health problems and illnesses. The National Guidelines introduction says that historically, many family members have felt blamed for their loved one's mental health problems and illnesses. It says that while the blaming is diminishing, family caregivers are not yet consistently recognized as potential partners in the family member's recovery journeys. And it says that because of these challenges, many family caregivers still feel marginalized and that their role is neither properly acknowledged nor adequately supported. The guidelines introduction reports that family caregivers told the researchers that they need to know, the family caregivers need to know that the person they're caring for is receiving adequate care and services and is able to achieve a reasonable quality of life. They need to have their relationships and caregiving role recognized by mental health service providers and to be meaningfully involved in assessment and treatment planning. They need to receive information, skills, support and services from knowledgeable mental health service providers to enable them, the family caregivers, to effectively provide care to the person living with mental illnesses or mental illness. And they need to receive this is the family caregivers, support and services for the family and its individual members to sustain their own health and emotional well-being. Which is why our topic today, in caring, who caregivers and family caregivers are, is so important. To discuss it, our guest is Caroline Tap mcdougall Caroline is the publisher and editor of Caregivers Solutions magazine, a Canadian publication dedicated to the wellness of seniors and their caregivers and their families. She has extensive experience in the areas of health, employee wellness and rehabilitation, and is the print and online editor of various medical journals. 
She's been leading workshops and speaking to employers, caregivers, and healthcare professionals from coast to coast for over 10 years. She recently founded Canada Cares, an organization that celebrates, says thank you, and supports family and professional caregivers. So welcome to, to the show, Caroline. Thank you very much. Right, now, first question for you. Please tell us more about your life, your career, and your own experience with family caregiving. Caroline? Okay, so, um, yeah, my own experience with family caregiving is that my father had ALS, and so my mother cared for him, and I was sort of part of that journey, including moving them back across the country. And uh, then um, after my father passed away, maybe five, six years later, my mom had a stroke, and it was a very serious stroke, and she ended up stroke disabled with aphasia, which meant she couldn't speak, and, um, you know, was completely paralyzed and in a wheelchair. And so my life at that point, I was the mother of three children. I was running my own publishing business and, of course, tearing around all over the place. And I was the chair of the Canadian Occupational Therapy Foundation on a volunteer basis. And here I had a mother living one hour away who, you know, was completely um, needing 24-hour care and support. So that's my, my background. You've lived it. You are, you've been there, done that, so to speak, when it comes to family caregiving, Caroline. I have. Now, I want to, you to tell us about the Caregiver Solutions magazine that's yours. Tell us about mm-hmm. that, please. Well, I have another magazine that's called Rehab and Community Care Medicine, and I published that for 25 years. And in that process, a lot of clients and a lot of healthcare professionals kept telling me that there was no way to be able to reach the family caregiver, partly because they didn't identify themselves as family caregivers, so you couldn't buy a list of them, but secondly, because they were really quite varied. You know, some of them were brothers and sisters, some of them were spouses, some of them were were friends. And so they said that they were frustrated because it was very difficult to transfer knowledge into the hands of those individuals about caregiving. And so I came up with the bright idea of starting a magazine called Caregiver Solutions. And so we did that for the aging um, caregiving situation. And then we started another magazine for families um, with young children that were needing care. So it really came from a very practical um, need for, for knowledge, and over time we've been blessed because we had founding money from, uh, from some of our sponsors, and we also had the support of a large number of health professionals who've contributed to, uh, to write stories and, and review the publication over the years for accuracy. So we're now in about our 15th year and um, you know, thriving and doing very well, and it's fabulous when we hear people say, wow, you know, I, I'm so glad I got this into my hands because it's really helped me in my journey. That's great. Now, please tell us about this new organization, Canada Cares. Caroline? Well, when mum passed away, I thought I might have some time on my hands. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, seriously, as I was driving away from the, from the palliative care um, team, and thinking, my goodness, you know, um, the journey that I've been on has been incredible, but the journey that, that so many families go on is, is, is amazing, it's different, it's varied, and those health professionals also give 150% all the time. And, you know, after I'm finished, it's the next one, and it's the next family. And I thought, how could I possibly 
give back? How can I possibly say thank you to these people? And how can I make really Canada a better place for family caregivers? And the idea of Canada Cares came to me and I went to the Canadian Red Cross and St. Elizabeth Healthcare and I said, I have this idea. I knew the people there already and uh, I said, this is what I think. I don't want to duplicate efforts that others have because there are lots of people doing brilliant things, but I'd like to start an organization that recognizes caregivers and that supports them as much as possible so that we can raise the profile of family caregivers. And we're doing that with a lot of fun and sort of different things than charitable organizations usually do to create attention and visibility and awareness. Now, just give us an example of how you, in effect, recognize family caregivers through Canada Cares. Give us one example. Well, for instance, um, what we've been doing is we've been sharing caregiver stories across the country. So we've had an enormous amount of media coverage where we're sort of talking about the family caregiving situation and, and using stories that people have shared on our website. So when you go to the Canada Cares website, you'll find very personal stories from people that have that have shared. Um, we're also giving away prizes. Um, you know, we're giving away everything from sort of small prizes, um, thanking people for, for sharing their stories to a, we have an accessible van to give away um, that we're giving away at the end of November. So it's like a celebration. It's an energy that we're trying to put behind the caregiving story rather than sort of all the negative things that one could say. We're trying to be very positive about it. Now, let me just ask you, Really going back to what you were talking about, your personal experience, how much really did your personal experience bring you into this stream of development, this, this, the whole set of ideas that obviously uh, energize you and the sense of recognizing something that's important? What, in other words, was the influence of the role, your role as a family caregiver? I would, I would say 100%. I mean, it was built on my professional experience because I'd been blessed to have wonderful people around me um, and, and the healthcare professionals that I deal with, uh, you know, in my career. But 100% because there were days when I just did not know which end was up. You know, I was tearing down the highway. I was dealing with my brother. I had the nurses calling me saying, your mother's upset today. I had, you know, mother falling out of bed and needing stitches. I mean, every week there was something. Like, it was, there was just no rest. And I thought, you know, there has to be a way to, to give back and to share some of that knowledge, even to, you know, even to can't make it better because these are very difficult situations. But the few times that I I felt supported and I felt like I had assistance, it was really somebody patting me on the back and saying, I understand. You know, I know what you're going through. Um, you know, let me let me just sort of take a few minutes and chat with you. So very simple things because I couldn't fix the stroke. But it was that knowing that I wasn't alone, I think, that was the biggest thing for me. Just a comment to you about that feeling alone or not feeling alone. That's something I hear frequently on this show. That is, when the bad information reaches the family caregiver, that there's something, you know, it's a medical diagnosis or something of that nature, um, one of the first things they need is more and better information because when you're being told something serious, you only take part of it in if you're listening exactly. to it, especially if, especially if the, the, the doctor's in a hurry. But also, you want to feel that you're not alone, 
that there are other people who've traveled, are traveling this road and will travel this road. And you want to feel that that those are people you need to connect. And then something that's come through very, very strongly, and I'm going to apply it to you, is this. As people, family caregivers, travel this road of family caregiving, it's as though they get to a certain point where they stop turn around, as it were, look over their shoulders and see somebody following on behind that's perhaps only just stepped on the road. And at that point, they reach out wanting to help, um, wanting to uh, share their experiences and wanting to basically make the individual who's new feel that, yes, there is a community that's interested in them. Now, I'm only going to say that to you in this way, that I'd love to discuss it with you, but I believe that that's a very good, if, you, if I may put it this way, summary of you and people like you that are reaching, you've got to the point where you're able to reach back and help others. And I think that's what, com- right. yeah, it's what comes through very strongly in, your, in, in all that you've said in this first segment. Well, now, you're right. and I think that peer support is, is so important, but it's hard sometimes unless somebody approaches you, um, it, you know, to be able to share that. But, but you're right. It's just a smile. It's, it's, a, it's a sharing of knowledge. And actually, Canada Cares is introducing a peer coaching program for exactly the reason that you mentioned. Great. Okay. Now, talking of um, pressure, um, we've come to the time where we have to take a break. As I like to say, we have to pay the rent. So this is Dr. Gordon Atherley and my guest, Caroline Tapp-McDougall. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Power River. Please stay with us. We will be back. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace to speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Come back to your senses. Imagine a radio show that will help you recover your common sense. Host Leah Brenda Smith is a health and wellness specialist who will explain techniques designed to help you recover from the stress of your life. It's all about how you respond to your thoughts. A little bit of self-awareness can go a long way in helping you to relax and enjoy your life. Tune in to Come Back to Your Senses Radio, live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. 
Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and my guest, Caroline Tapp McDougall. Our topic is In Caring, Who Caregivers and Family Caregivers Are. Let's now talk about who family caregivers are and what they do and the challenges they encounter in getting themselves recognized. So, Caroline, first question. Sometimes family caregivers are called just caregivers. What's the difference between these two names? That is family caregiver on the one hand and caregiver alone on the other hand. How much does that, how much does that um, difference matter? Caroline? Well, um, you know, I think that's one of the challenges. I mean, family caregivers, caregivers, I mean, clearly, if you say you're a family caregiver, the implication is is that you're looking after somebody within your family. What we know is that really only half of the people, um, you know, it's about, well, it's actually 60% of people are looking after somebody in their family. So that means that, you know, others are assisting friends or neighbors or sisters or things, you know, like that, or sister-in-laws, who knows. But, I mean, it's really, they're close family that it's 60%. So, you know, one in four people are family caregivers in Canada now. So there's a huge number of people. And so the naming of this, this sort of category of people is a little bit of a struggle. I mean, in England, they call them carers. So, you know, some people want to call them adult children of aging parents. Well, you know, I mean, the point is they're doing the job. And if they're stepping up to do the job, then, you know, we need to find some kind of a way to refer to them so that they can sort of understand. I don't like categorizing people, but I think back to your point originally where you said, you know, people don't need to feel alone. Well, sometimes if you know where you fit, you can belong. Right. Now, I'm going to just... So to query you on something, the word caregiver also refers to professional caregivers, that is uh, personal service workers, people like that, who, for whom caregiving is a job and a very good, in the Mm -hmm. sense of a very valuable job, but at the same time they are being remunerated or compensated or receiving a salary or whatever the words are, whereas family caregivers in general are not. How important is that distinction? Or do you think I'm just being mean? very important. No, it's very important. I tend to call them health professionals because as far as I'm concerned, somebody who's a personal support worker, um, you know, has, has a title of personal support worker. You know, we have nurses, we have social workers, we have a, a large number of people, discharge planners, that come together to sort of form the team around a, uh, an individual who needs this support. So, you know, I, I think that it's important to refer to them as, as healthcare professionals when they do have that designation. So, um, you know, we do use the term synonymously, but we always distinguish between the paid and the, and the unpaid. Very good. Thank you. Very clear. Now, next question. What types of care do family caregivers, as you just defined them, provide for their family members or their neighbors, their friends, their associates? And how important are the types of care that they provide? Oh. Caroline? They're incredibly important. It's interesting. Transportation is the most common form of care provided if you're sort of looking at that category where you've got the largest number of people. And that's understandable because mom and dad, one of the early things that happens is mom and dad or a sister or a neighbor needs help getting to and from the doctor to and from shopping, these kinds of things. And that's also an early indicator of some kind of support that's needed. But then, of course, it moves on right the way to, you know, to really activity 
necessities of, of daily care, personal grooming, bathing, eating, all of those things. Because again, depending on the severity of the person's need and how independent they're able to be, um, the, the support you know varies considerably. And also, I think what we have is we have sort of a bit of a sliding scale where again, there's some entry points of care and support right the way to you know much more support, especially if an individual stays at home. I think we see that the family seems to be much more involved um, in providing that care and support. Now, let's go a little bit further. Um, That is to say, I'm still asking you the same question about the types of care. When it gets into the care of somebody, for example, who's at the end of life, Mm -hmm. um, the care may go and I am in no way being negative when I say this, go beyond the what I'll call the domestic caring, but get to some extent at least in the medical caring, that is the administration mm-hmm. of medications or attendance to personal functions and that kind of thing. Uh, first of all, that's obviously important. I don't, think, I don't think that question needs answering. But my question to you about that is, how much of that kind of, caring, whatever we're going to call it, do family caregivers get involved with? And is their role in this sufficiently recognized? No, uh, their role is not sufficiently recognized. And I think sometimes the burden of care is considerable on the family caregiver to the point of actually being risky. And it's risky in two ways. It's risky in that there were times when the kind of care that I was expected to provide for my parents was beyond my scope of of knowledge or practice or however you'd like to describe it. So I was guessing. I was doing the very best I possibly could. And so, of course, at times, depending on how far that goes, the person you're looking after is at risk. The second piece in that is that you are often at risk. And if you look at a simple procedure like bathing or lifting, you know, often we hear stories of caregivers, you know, there are falls, caregivers are hurting their backs, all kinds of things are happening. Um, So that's the, uh, you know, that's the risk that we run is that the caregiver, aside from being burned out by all of that stuff, could end up being, you know, seriously at risk. And becoming another patient for the healthcare system to look after. To put it rather bluntly. Well, exactly. You see, one of the things we know is that caregivers are getting depressed, they're getting burned out, they're actually getting hurt, um, you know, or they're having trouble with the, you know, with, again, their various medical conditions themselves. I mean, often these caregivers are not young. Okay, if we look at some of the ages, we know the average family caregiver right now is 48, but that's in the entry level of the care. So what we're finding now is that, you know, as that care moves on, especially in spousal care, um, we end up with an older person looking after another older person. So, you know, where's the risk in that as well? I mean, and and size-wise, I mean, if it's a husband that needs lifting by the wife, we end up with potential problems there if he weighs more than her. Right. Absolutely. Now... I'm going to ask you a question now, which really draws on the previous two questions. But, Caroline, what are the most challenging of the challenges that family caregivers encounter in getting themselves recognized? Now, in asking you this question, I realize we're going back on some of the answers you've already given us. But I'd like you to focus on the idea of the challenging nature of the challenges. (laughs) Caroline? I think the most challenging is that... They're quietly doing this at home. I mean, they're seeing oftentimes 
visibly, say, in the workplace where they need to take time off, which is sort of a negative thing often because, you know, that is not something a lot of companies are comfortable with or that are prepared for at present. I think the other thing is they run into frustrations when they're trying to get help within the system and they're not recognized as being sort of advocates or people who have authority. Um, And there's that delicate balance between, of course, the patient or the person you're caring for and yourself. Um, So I think there's some of that going on in terms of sort of the, the outside considerations. But I think the most challenging thing as far as them being recognized is that they're unpaid. Because there isn't really any, I'm not advocating for them to be paid, but I'm saying, you know, when, when it's a job, usually we have a structure around a job, don't we? How many hours you do it for, um, what the regulations are around that kind of thing, what's fair, what's not fair, what the job description is. Well, there isn't anything like that in caregiving. It's 24 hours and it's do whatever you can for as long as you can and use your best common sense and, you know, keep advocating. So, that's, I think, the struggle. It's sort of really kind of the Wild West kind of thing. I've heard people say, people like you, Caroline, say that one of the challenges is also the sense of guilt, that uh, even if you are working full-time, full bore, with everything you can do, you still may feel that you're not doing enough, especially if your family member's condition isn't doing all that well or maybe mm-hmm. is deteriorating. What about that question of guilt? How I, much I think talking? so. It's guilt and it's, it's a combination of guilt and, care, and uh, helplessness. Okay, so what I think, you know, I, I remember experiencing this with my mother. It was just like, why, why can't I figure this out? You know, I'm a bright person. I've got, you know, A, B, and C tools. We've got the doctor. We've got the nurse. You know, why can't I just get, you know, a better doctor or a better diagnosis or better medicine or better? So I think that was it. It was sort of the helplessness and then the guilt that I wasn't there all the time because, of course, as soon as I turned my back and went back to the city and went back to my kids and my job, something would happen. And I kept thinking, well, if I'd only been there and she hadn't fallen out of the bed, you know. So that's the other thing. I think it is it is a sort of a double thing. And, and also you, you have no time for yourself. And if you do take time, time for your marriage or for yourself, you again, you feel guilty. Yeah. Would you add the word frustration to the challenge? Oh, yeah, it's very frustrating because it's relentless as well. And unfortunately, in a lot of cases, you know, I guess there are some families where it sort of goes up and down. For families... Oftentimes, they get themselves to the point where they think things are solved, and then suddenly it flares its head again, and, you know, things start getting worse again. So the frustration also comes with that up and down scenario. Right. Now, I think that that's a point in which we could have a lot more discussion um, because it comes back to the question of support. But once again, it's time for the break. So this is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Caroline Tap McDougall. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channel channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Power River. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleina Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune into Around the World in a Glass, presented by Sportsman's. We're a show all about wine, spirits, and other beverages. Your host, Kimber Stonehouse, is a professional expert and wine enthusiast. Each week, we'll focus on a different region of the world, discuss wines and other beverages, talk about some of the top restaurants in the region, and what to pair with which wine. Just listening could make you almost an expert. Around the World in a Glass is heard live every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite. On my guest, Caroline Tapp McDougall, our topic is in caring who caregivers and family caregivers are. Now, let's um, talk more about the challenges family caregivers experience in providing care for family members and some of the solutions. So, Caroline, first, first question. Some healthcare professionals believe that family caregivers should be recognized as members of the circle of care. You know, that's used to describe the doctors, the nurses, and all the people that provide the care to someone. Uh, so some healthcare professionals are saying, yeah, family care- caregivers should be members of that circle, but others aren't so keen on the idea. What do you think about this as a challenge and why? Well, I think it's very important that they are, first of all, because they're doing a huge amount of the work, and they're also doing it without the same knowledge and infrastructure that a health professional has. So I think that's one piece. But I think the other thing is is that they're usually the ones who are closest to their loved one. So, you know, I used to be able to get my mom, um, you know, to tell me more than the health professionals would because I understood her moods, her sign language, all the things. So, you know, I was sort of more in touch with her. And you see, that relationship was one-on-one. The health professionals moved from my mother to the next person, to the next person, to the next person. So, you know, I'm the one who's sort of doing that daily thing. So I think it's a huge benefit for the system to have that knowledge and have that sort of recorded material coming from the family members. And it's also a way of showing the likes and dislikes and sort of the past history of the loved one as well as well, which again helps them to understand, you know, various things that are going on. So it's it's huge. Um, it's just a little bit of a logistical nightmare because, you know, they used to want me to come down and attend a meeting at 10 o'clock in the morning with the nursing staff. Well, you know, I was at work. So it, it doesn't always work necessarily with the system. But yes, it's a great idea. And there's an organization called TIES, I think, right now that's working with a number of groups to help with that process. 
Family caregivers, Caroline, caring for family members with serious mental illnesses sometimes experience challenges in getting information to and from physicians and the mental health care system. What do you think about this challenge and why, why do you think in the way you do? Caroline? Well, I don't think it's just families with, uh, with loved ones who have mental health conditions. I think it's across the board because there's sort of that sanctity of the health care records and also there's an access issue. I mean, oftentimes the person who has the most critical information is the physician who drops into the nursing home once or twice a week or whatever the combination is. And so, or, you know, it's very difficult to get an appointment with the family doctor and go back or you, you do tests and then you don't hear the results for a long period of time. So, yeah, I think communication is a huge issue and a huge challenge. Um, so I don't think anyone's purposely withholding information. I think it's just the speed with which it moves so that it sort of moves into the clinical realm and moves into sort of the action area that's often, you know, the, the problem. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot here in a way by saying, let's suppose that somebody has turned to you because you've got you've certainly got influence and says, Carolyn, tell us what to do about this problem because we're hearing a lot about it and we are not sure what the solution is. What would your solution be? Well, I think it's the same. Oftentimes when people are using the healthcare system or, or involved with the healthcare system, they're not using some of their common business skills or things that they would use on a daily basis. So what I always suggest to families is, first of all, figure out, who the person is that sort of the, the one who's going to influence some of the decision making or somebody who's got the information and actually introduce yourself to that person. It's amazing the number of family members who say, well, I've never met Dr. So-and-so and I'm going, well, you might not be able to meet him, but there are certainly ways that you can figure out how to access it or let him know who you are or her know who you are and that you're there and that you care. So it, it talks to that invisibility thing again. Caregivers are sort of stepping back and, and, and taking a second position. And I think if you want to be involved and you're willing to be involved, you have to step forward and you have to let people know you're there and that you're interested and you want to know. And I suppose that comes back to getting your voice heard, doesn't it? Not in a way that's um, going to create trouble. We're not talking about occupations of the doctor's office. But what we are talking about, Carolyn, and this is a question, uh, is family caregivers being more forward and saying, I am a family caregiver and Here's some information I have that will be helpful to you. How can you help me in caring for my family member? Is that right? Do you agree with that? Precisely. Precisely. And I suggest to families, even at the early stage of caregiving, you know, I say to long-distance caregivers all the time, go and introduce yourself to the parent's family doctor now. Let them know you're there so that when you're in the, sort of the early stages, by the time you get to, you know, where you've got trouble, it's not a surprise. They don't suddenly know that they have a son named Bill who lives in Vancouver. So, you know, if you're preemptive on these things and if there's a new doctor that gets introduced or a new condition that starts to happen also get to know the pharmacist. I mean, the pharmacist was one of my best friends in my mother's situation because the doctor would prescribe something, even in the nursing home. I couldn't figure out what it was, and I'd show up at the community pharmacy that had the contract to fill the, the medication, you know, for the nursing home, and I'd say, okay, what's this? And she'd tell me, and I'd say, no, 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 I'm not comfortable with that. I've got some more questions. You know, and then I'd go back to the director of nursing and say, really, I'd appreciate it if we could hold off on that because I have a few more questions before we start sort of pumping that in automatically on top of nine other medicines. So, you know, you can, you have to be a bit sleuthful, 
you know, but you have to sort of understand what you're dealing with as well. You have to also do your homework or find people who know and ask questions. Right. Now, different question, same theme. Family caregivers too often experience financial challenges. Um, <clears throat> they, um, I hear very often the question, I wonder what will happen to my child when I'm gone, or how if I die before my um, parent dies, which occasionally happens, who will look after them? Now, so that's one financial challenge. Another is just the giving up of the job of the one party or the pressure on everything um, costs money. Now, some services, some government services, are re- offer direct funding for persons with serious health challenges. What do you think about the value of such services for family caregivers and why do you think that? Well, I think, you know, Often people are moaning about our healthcare system or they want more or they're disappointed or, you know, I happen to think that Canada has a wonderful healthcare system and I think we're really blessed to have the support that we need. But let's face it, there are lots of us and everybody always wants more. Um, I think what's important is that, you know, my mom's care was still a huge financial strain on me. Um, she didn't have a lot of money and, you know, to get the kind of care she needed to get her, you know, eventually into her own room in the nursing home, I had to pay extra to get the extra health care, you know, a personal support worker, companion coming in when I couldn't be there, I paid. A lot of people are, are surprised that they can't get home care sort of 24-7 complimentary, you know, from, from their provincial health authority. So it kind of goes back to saying, as with any other thing in your life, you know, what can we afford? What do we need to do? What, what plans can we put in place? And I think, you know, again, it is, it is a strain on finances, and it's particularly a strain when there's a couple and one of them gets ill and needs to move into a nursing home and the other one wants to sort of stay independently in the community and tries to run the house on sort of one pension when the, you know, the nursing home is needing the other pension to pay the bills. So it is a terrifically difficult time, and, uh, you know, it's something that they miss when they tell, they tell you about your RSP planning. I think they sort of think that all of us are going to be Zooming somewhere and, you know, off on a cruise ship, and they sort of forget a little bit about, you know, the boost and the, the attends and the nursing care. They sort of, that kind of misses the, a lot of the education. Right. Now, does that mean, Caroline, that we all should be planning, not just for our own retirement, but also for the question of the care that our family members uh, are going to need after we're gone. Is that something that we should be thinking about, or is that something that you think is going too far? What do you think? No, no, we absolutely have to. I mean, it, it's mandatory. A lot of people just think about where they're going to live in retirement. And I say to them, well, that's terrific, but let's talk about some of the other things you're going to need. I was talking to a group of investors the other night, you know, and I said to them, how many of you have, uh, you know, moved in the last 10 years? And they sort of all put up their hands or they've done something. I said, how many of you have an accessible washroom in your house? You know, how many know what that is? You know, and, and, and then I explained to them that not only was that adding value to their home right now from a real estate investment point of view, but, you know, it was going to be pretty silly if neither them or their wife could get into the bathroom in, in a house that they thought they wanted to live in for the rest of their lives. So I think there's a huge amount of education and personal planning now before, you know, with this sort of crowd of people who are hopefully caring for their parents, hopefully they're going to see some of these things and say, oh, yes. 
you know, if I do some of these things in my planning and I think about these things, I'll be able to age in place or stay where I want to much longer, um, you know, but if you don't think about it ahead of time and you don't know, then it's hard, right? Like this generation has kind of fallen into it, I think, a bit. Right. And I guess with an aging population, that's, that's one factor. And with governments that um, seem to be getting even shorter of money than they were before and insurance plans under pressure, those that challenge to family caregivers to, in effect, manage the financial resources can only grow. Now, am I being too pessimistic when I say that, Caroline? Well, no, I think, you know, I think recognition for family caregivers is also important because we're saving the system a lot of money. I think there's still a lot of waste in the system, and some of the waste in the system that I think we can draw as family caregivers, that we can drive out of the system so the real care dollars are going where they need to into the care, is by educating ourselves, by understanding, you know, what's an emergency room visit? How can I prevent um, my dad from falling down if I make the house safer? How can I, you know, encourage him to, you know, go to the family doctor? How can I encourage him to stop driving? Those kinds of things, in the end, result in, you know, less accidents, less less problems. So I think we've got to sort of drive some of the waste out of that sort of what I'll say the first half of caring so that when we need the care, the, the real dollars are going to the serious stuff. And just a quick comment because we've got to go for the break. That involves perhaps a certain amount of activism. And in the next segment, I'm going to ask you questions that lead to what you would like to see done and do. So, let's take the break now, pay the rent. This is Dr. Gordon Adderley, and my guest is Caroline Tapp McDougall. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Power River. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace to speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Come back to your senses. Imagine a radio show that will help you recover your common sense. Host Leah Brenda Smith is a health and wellness specialist who will explain techniques designed to help you recover from the stress of your life. It's all about how you respond to your thoughts. A little bit of self-awareness can go a long way in helping you to relax and enjoy your life. Tune in to Come Back to Your Senses Radio, live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. 
If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and my guest, Caroline Tapp McDougall. Our topic is in caring, who caregivers and family caregivers are. So, Caroline, let's talk more about what more you want to do and see done to help family caregivers. So, first question, what more would you like to do through your Caregiver Solutions magazine and your organization, Canada Cares? Caroline? What we'd like to do is we'd actually like to reach out to more families and have them engage with us and understand the journey that we're on. Because I think, again, a lot of people have this idea that it's not going to happen to our family or, you know, mom and dad are 80 and they're doing fine. I talk to people all the time and, you know, and then the next morning something's happened. So what I think is important is to raise the awareness for what is going to happen without being pessimistic and saying, oh, you know, this is going to be terrible and there's going to be huge problems. Just let people know how to empower themselves and get the information that they need so they're not as, as poorly prepared. I mean, I look at what happens when a young couple has a baby. You know, they've got nine months warning and they read every possible book they can. They attend classes. They do, you know, all kinds of peer chats with other mothers and fathers. We need to do that kind of thing as we approach aging. And it's not a rocket science thing that if you've got you know, for parents, because you've got them on both sides, someone is going to have a problem somewhere along the line. So I think it, it's the 50 and 60-year-olds right now that need to start educating themselves as well as their parents. Now, what that comes to is a lot of the things that you're already doing and a lot of new things as well. And mm-hmm. I would just say to you that that focus of really saying you got to prepare for it, understand what's happening, because you're not immune to the trends, the risks, life, the way the human body evolves through age, and be aware. Now, I'm only reinterpreting what you said, but I just want to reinforce it because of all the things that we know to be going on. Now, that was us putting you on the spot. Now, let's talk about the things that you... Caroline, would like to see done by healthcare and social systems to help family caregivers? I think what I'd like to do is I'd like to have, as as you mentioned at the early part of this, I'd like the family caregiver to be recognized more in the role and appreciated. Okay, I think there's two points because I think oftentimes, you know, it's, as we've said, it's a difficult job. And I think just a few words from the social worker, from the nurse, from the personal support worker of encouragement and support and recognition that they're on the team as well. And then some of that transfer of knowledge into practice. You know, there are all kinds of rules and regulations. You know, you can't do this and you can't do that. Well, I think perhaps we could have a bit more help in terms of that education piece between the health professional and the family caregiver. That resonates, Caroline, with something I also hear a lot of on this show is the need for information. We've talked about this in this episode previously, but what people need, as I understand it, is information that they're going to be able to trust, that they're going to be able to understand, and that they're going to be able to find useful. And that is quite a challenge because I know that my own profession 
sometimes relapses into the kind of obscurantist language that they love um, and translating that to people who are worried uh, who are hearing things for the first time um, is a challenge that perhaps they need some training in so that's the, the first comment I make back to you do you agree with that? I do. I really do. And I think also what we need to do is we need to divide the information that's needed into what I'll call medical information and daily living information. Because I really don't think, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that it's not necessarily the purvey of the family doctor to really worry about, um, you know, the day-to-day is the bathroom safe when somebody's got Parkinson's and Alzheimer's or, you know, those combinations. I think that what we need to do is we need to sort of figure out whose responsibility it is within the system. There's certainly no harm in in the doctor mentioning that, but surely on the long list that the doctor has, that's not going to be at the top, and that's why it's often missed. So what I think we should do is we should figure out whose role it is to do family education. And right now, that's a little muddy for me. I'm not really clear. I agree with you totally, and I'm going to come back to you on that. There is in medical practice, as you know, clinical practice, something called the clinical practice guideline. And that really is a document in which, to which the experts, the true experts in a field have contributed advice. That is to say, here in our belief is the best way that we know of for dealing with particular situations, particular health problems and the rest of it. What do you think about the idea of something like uh, a family caregiver guideline, which isn't doing talking about how to manage the disease, but how to care for the person with the disease in such a way that the family caregiver feels empowered to do the things that need to be done. What do you think about that, Caroline? I think that's a brilliant idea, and I think to the point where we could offer courses and all kinds of things. Now, again, you can never get it exactly right because everybody's circumstances are different, but there are some fundamental similarities. And then when you look at organizations like the Parkinson Society and the Alzheimer's Society, they are certainly prepared to help those families through that journey as well, aren't they, with the specifics of Parkinson's? So I think so. I think it's very, very important that we get this a little more structured and a little more supported with those kinds of things. Right. Because another thing that arises out of all all this discussion is that people very rightly use the internet. They use Google. They Google for Mm -hmm. things. And that's good because there's lots and lots of good information. But there's also a lot of information too, we have to say, that isn't so good. And we need to know that what we're reading and what we're being what we're being advised to do is actually okay in the sense that people who've been there and done that found it useful, okay in the sense that we're not going to do any harm, um, either inadvertently or knowingly, and also the sense that we're doing enough. So in that way, um, providing these family caregiver guidelines would be a kind of reassurance that we're on the right track when we're looking after mom and pop. Well, and they can be, 
yeah, and they can be reviewed by experts. I think that's the thing. We, we want access to experts. We want to learn and we want to know. But we also need to know that it's timely. I mean, things are changing so quickly in some of these conditions, and there's so many sort of new ideas that you look at something on the Internet, even from some of the organizations that are the professional organizations, and their stuff isn't up to date. You know, so, so that's difficult. And then you sort of have the family caregiver that prints something out and goes to the doctor's office with this big long sheet and starts questioning. So you're right, sort of what are the protocols? What are the ideas? What are things that we can do to help out um, and to save time? Really, it's about saving time because, you know, you can sit there for four hours on the internet and try to figure it out. You know, if I could give it to you in a, in a few sheets or in a, in a talk or something like that, it would be much more efficient. And Lord knows these people don't have a lot of time. Right. Bang on. Now, final question, and in a way it's the most important. Caroline, what's your message, your personal message for family caregivers? Caroline? Prepare ahead of time. You know, there's not much you can do at the time when somebody is diagnosed um, to change all that, but I think what you can do, regardless of the stage in your journey that you're at, I think you need to try and prepare ahead of time. And I think the second thing is is to communicate, 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 discuss, ask questions, and don't be shy. You know, it doesn't mean you have to get angry. You know, a lot of caregivers get to the point where they're so frustrated that they're angry. You know, stay calm, use your business skills, use your best patience, but, but don't give up in asking those questions and be organized. Write the things down and keep track because, as you said at the beginning, there's a lot of, you know, quick information that's coming through and you've got a steep learning curve. So write things down, be organized, and don't be afraid to ask. So what that comes to is that sense of communication with sources that are helpful to you, almost top of the list, possibly top of the list, our fellow family caregivers have been through this, but also others who have particular kinds of knowledge and experience. And so there isn't time, unfortunately, because we're coming to the end of the episode to discuss it, but I think you probably agree with me that Internet, the kind of thing that you and I are doing at this very moment, has a place in all of this information and that it's likely to grow. Uh, I'd love to get a long answer from you on that one, but as I say, we haven't time. But just in general, do you see things like Internet radio growing in helpfulness for family caregivers? Absolutely, providing there's somebody like you at the helm. that's important okay because i think again information as you know needs to be monitored we need experts and we need people who kind of understand otherwise it's meaningless banter sometimes and and it leaves as many questions so i think yes with authority and with you know with good experience it's brilliant right and i will come back to you by saying and that the guests are people like you caroline thank you very much Touche, <laughs> in a good way. Now, unfortunately, we do have to come to the end. Um, I want to say thank you to Caroline um, for talking across such a broad spectrum of things, her own powerful experience, her sense of the need, her business instincts of creating businesses and magazines and doing things that going that are aimed at helping people who've been through and are going through the very same experience of a general nature or maybe a specific nature that Caroline herself has been through. So that's the credibility and that's why I say to you, 
all success to you in the work you're doing. Go from strength to strength. And I say to our listeners, please follow what Caroline is doing because it's valuable. Now, I want to say thank you to our listeners. Uh, We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about uh, ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. Now, our next episode will be about, and this is the title, Moving a Health System to Recognize All the People Working in It, Including Family Caregivers. Please join us, same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.